This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Good morning. How are we? We good? Okay. Super. Good to see y'all. Um, where I I was I would I was I appreciate you. You're a roll. That's great. Yeah, I know, I know. That's good. That's good. Uh, Mark chapter twelve. If you got your Bibles, um, this is wobbly. It's kind of like a wobbly table. I hate wobbly tables. Coffee shops with wobbly tables. Mm-mm. Not about it. Not about it. Um, Mark chapter twelve. So let's read it together. We're going to be in verses thirteen to seventeen, um, and then we will um, ask for God to speak to us. And then we'll just talk about it a bit. So Mark chapter 12, verse 13 to 17. And if you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screens. There's also Bibles in the back that you feel free to grab, hand out, pass out. Um, we just would love for people to have the scriptures. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. God, this is your word. It's not just a book. It's not just print on a page. Um, God, we, we trust that these are your words given then and there, but also here and now, that you are alive, that your spirit speaks to us. God, I pray that everyone that is in this room or in the lobby or listening um, on a podcast, that it is your voice, your word that is heard, God. So let me just invite you where you are in your own words. Would you ask God to speak to you by his Holy Spirit? God, speak to our church. Let us hear you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So at this point, um, everyone is well aware of what happened last Sunday night um, at the 94th Academy Awards, right? It's made the headlines everywhere. Um, I think most of us are aware. CODA won Best Picture. Um, and which it should have. I think it's a fantastic film. If you have not seen it, um, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great movie. Um, but in addition to that, there was also the well now discussed hit of Will Smith to Chris Rock, which was unfortunate and honestly terrible in every imaginable angle. Um, I think it's, I, I, I honestly, I, I have compassion and empathy for both of them. Um, it, it's just, it sucks and it's hard and it's, um, it's, it's terrible. Uh, but this wasn't, this wasn't the first time that a, an unscripted live attack happened where a guest member walked onto the stage and, and hit the host in the face. 
Um, back in 1963, across the pond um, on British TV, a man by the name of Desmond Leslie calmly walked on stage of the broadcast and punched the host, Bernard Levin, right in the facial region. Why, you ask? Leslie says it was in defense of his wife's honor after Bernard Levin, a a famous journalist by vocation, wrote an unflattering review of Desmond's wife's most recent stage performance. Unflattering review, and so Desmond thinks, I will defend my wife's honor against Bernard Levin and everyone else. I will walk onto the stage and I will fight for her. I will defend her, her name. The hypocrisy of Desmond's public defense, though, is stunning in that he's also well known to have had multiple illicit relationships with, with other women throughout the marriage. At one point, even when his wife was out of town, he changed the locks and moved in another lady friend along with her children. Um, and so you're looking at it, and it's like, you got on one side, Desmond's like, I will defend my wife's honor in front of everybody. And then over here, he's like, but I'm going to do my own thing and not honor her with my, my own life. Right? The hypocrisy there is not difficult to see. It's, it's, it's honestly rather stunning where in one effort, he's going to defend his wife, and in the other effort, he won't even honor him with his own life. And this is exactly the hypocrisy that Jesus interacts with, with the Pharisees and the Herodians. On on one side, they they claim to love God and to follow God, and they will defend his honor against Rome and Caesar, but then over here, they they won't even honor him with their own lives. They they won't even submit their own personal lives to following his way and his will. They want to honor him out here so that everybody can see, but then when they go and they live their own life on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, they they fail to honor him there. It's like, okay, the hypocrisy that is happening with the Pharisees and the Herodians of wanting to claim a love for God and yet they won't even love him with their own lives is, is stunning. And it's what Jesus wants us to see here is this hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Herodians and it's also what God wants us to examine in our own lives. Are we the same? Do we at one at one level, gather on Sunday and honor God with our lips and sing songs or maybe raise our hands or do whatever we think is honoring to God. But then over here, we fail to honor God when we're alone in our room. We, we want to we defend God and respect God and make him great over here, but then over here with our own lives, we fail to submit our lives in full love to God. This is, the, this is the question that I believe God wants us to examine for our, ourselves, not in condemnation, but just in honest introspection. Do, do we practice a hypocrisy with, within ourselves? The first song we sang says, with every breath that's in our lungs, our soul cries out, to you belongs the glory. That's the What's the point that Jesus is trying to make here? This isn't about taxes. It's not about where do you put your money. It's about do you give to God what is rightfully his? And according to the scripture, what is rightfully his is all of us. 
That, that's the point. This is, this is the point that Jesus is making. This is the hypocrisy that he's exposing within the Pharisees and the Herodians today. Verse 13, Mark tells us that the, they, the Sanhedrin, right, the religious leadership of the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, send a group of the Pharisees and a group of the Herodians to trap Jesus, right, to, to trap him. The Pharisees and Herodians were both, well, they were both Jews, they both claimed to love and follow God and that they submitted their lives to, to God alone, but the Pharisees refused to submit to Rome and Caesar while the Herodians were okay with following the lead of Rome and Caesar. So they were both Jews, but they hated each other because of a political divide. Perhaps you, that makes sense in our world where you can both be Americans and yet hate each other because of a political division. I think we know what I'm talking about, right? So that's what you have. These two groups, they, they hate each other because of their political differences, and yet they can unite together as brothers in arm under the one common goal of how do we destroy Jesus? Because really, he's ruining all of our lives. So, so how, how do we who hate each other have a greater hatred for Jesus that we can unite together and work together, right? That, that's what's happening here. The Sanhedrin's like, get some of them, get some of them, bring them together. We know how to trap Jesus. And so they come up to Jesus in verse 14, and they just start showering him with empty praise, insincere flattery. Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, Jesus. We we know that you're not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? They, they just come in and they just start flattering him with these, these insincere, yet also at the same time, true statements of Jesus' integrity. Jesus, you only say what's true. You always answer truthfully. You don't care what other people think. You, you, you only care about the way of God. But they're using Jesus' integrity against him. They want to use the fact that Jesus will only say what is true to try and entrap him. It's kind of like, you know, a lawyer who's, who's setting up the, the grand finality. Isn't it true that you love cars? Yes. Isn't it true that you love sports cars? Yes. Isn't it true that you love Pontiacs? Now, let me remind you, you're under oath. You have to say the truth. Isn't it true that you're the Pontiac bandit? Right? Like, and Every Brooklyn Nine-Nine fan knows what I'm talking about at this point. Right, but it's that thing where you're like, you're building it up and you're using the fact that you're under oath, you have to say the truth, you're using that to then say like, well, since you have to say the truth, prove my point. And so that's what they're doing with Jesus. Like, Jesus, it's so true. Like, you only say what's true. Way to go, Jesus. Jesus, you only care about honoring God. Way to go, Jesus. You don't care about other people's opinions, Jesus. So what do you say about paying taxes to Caesar? How do you answer to that? Now, now before we, we dissect why is this a trap, there's, there's two things that I want to point out about this, two realities. One is that as long as there are people who are driven by selfish ambition— they will seek to take advantage of another's innocence and integrity, just like they did with Jesus. As long as there are people in this world who are driven by selfish ambition, they will try to leverage another person's integrity and innocence against them, just like they did with Jesus. In John chapter 15, Jesus tells us we should expect this. 
If you are a Christian and you want to follow the way of Jesus, we should expect other people to try and exploit that and to take advantage of that. In John 15, verse 20, he says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus is telling us, and we need to be aware of that. Right? If we're going to follow the way of Jesus, we can expect that there are those who are selfishly motivated and opposed to Jesus who, who in their own selfish ambition will take advantage of our innocence and integrity, of the fact that we want to speak the truth. We might run into someone that says like, oh, well, she's going to forgive me. She has to. That's what the Bible tells her to do. Oh, well, he, he's going to believe the best of me because that's what the Bible tells us, to believe the best of others. Love believes the best. So we can manipulate that. She doesn't want to judge. The Bible says don't judge. And so I can kind of do what I want and then just throw out that, hey, don't judge. Like We're, we're going to find people who, who take our pursuits of following Jesus and, and persecute, leverage that against us the same way that they did with Jesus or, or tried to with Jesus. We need to know that to follow Jesus, he tells us, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. It's going to happen at the same time, though. We don't have to fear that. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. In the world you will be persecuted, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We need to be aware that, that there will pe be people that try to take advantage of, of our integrity. But Jesus tells us we don't need to fear that. In fact, he gives us a peace, his peace, his presence with us, and promises to actually use what others meant for evil for good. That what others mean for evil against us, he will use to refine our character and our faith and to reward one day in heaven. We have to keep our eyes above. That's what enables us to continue forward even amidst persecution. The second thing that we, we see is, is the person of Jesus. If Jesus wasn't a person of integrity, a person who always spoke the truth, then they have nothing to try to trap him on. But in fact, Jesus is a person. He, he was a person that always spoke the truth, who cared more about honoring God than the opinion of other people, who wanted so much to honor God that he would be willing to be killed in order to honor God and to follow the will of God. We see a person who is in fact true with every single word that he speaks. That's why they have something to, to try and leverage against him. And so as followers of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, that means that is how we are called to live. That someone should be able to make the claim, well, Blake's always gonna tell the truth because he follows Jesus, and Jesus always tells the truth. Right? That, that well, we know that, that she cares more about honoring God than she does living for herself, and so we know this is what's gonna happen. We know how he's going to respond to this situation because, 
because he cares about exalting God with his life more than anything. And so the question is, do we live the same way as Jesus? In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Could it be said of you, as it is said of Jesus, we, we know that you only speak the truth. Could it be said of you, as it is said of Jesus, we know that you care more about the opinion of God than the opinion of others. Could it be said of you that you have an integrity that matches the integrity of Jesus? As a disciple of Jesus, if you have trusted Christ, then we have surrendered our life to following the way of Jesus, to being shaped into his image. Therefore, if he is a truth teller, we are to be a truth teller. If, if he cares about the glory of God more than his own safety, we should care about the glory of God more than our own agenda or safety, that, that what God wills trumps all else, just like it did for Jesus. Do we have that same character and integrity of Christ? And so we see that Jesus is a truth teller, that there are evil and wicked people who want to take advantage of that for their own gain. And so they, they try to trap Jesus. Okay, Jesus, we know that you're going to tell us the truth and that you care more about what God thinks of you than what other people think of you. So what do you say? Do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? So what's the trap here? Why, 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 how, where's, the, where's the trap? They're just asking a you know, tax question. It's tax month, right? Like, what's the trap here? So like we said, the Pharisees and the Herodians are, are both devout Jews. They believe that there's one God and that their lives are to be submitted to following the, the one true God, that they are to give financially to God, that they're to devote their lives to, to God and to, to no other. And for the Pharisees, they believe that they're not to devote their lives to following Rome or Caesar. Right? That, that to follow Rome, to follow Caesar is to be opposed to God. You can't follow Caesar and follow God at the same time. But the problem they live in is that in 63 BC, Rome conquered Jerusalem and most of Palestine at the time. And so in that day, Rome was the leading authority of their day. Caesar was the, the head honcho, the big boss man. Right, and so they think in this situation, okay, here's how we'll trap Jesus. The Pharisees will, will ask him, do we pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus, if you say yes, then you love Caesar more than God. Jesus, if you say pay taxes to Caesar, then you're for Caesar. You're not for God. You can't be the Messiah. And then the Jewish people take him out. And the Herodians are thinking, Okay, if Jesus says, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, we only submit to God, 
Well, then they can go tell the Roman authorities that Jesus is about to create a, a rebellion and then Rome will take Jesus out. And so like, since he tells the truth, we got him. He's got to answer one way or the other. Bada bing, bada boom, he's out. So that's the game plan. We got this person who only tells the truth all the time. Jesus, tell us the truth. Do we pay taxes to Caesar? And if you say yes, the Jewish people are taking you out because you don't love God. But if you say no, then the Romans are taking you out because you're going to start a rebellion against the government. Gotcha. That's, that's their game plan. That's their approach. Do you love God enough to stand up against Caesar? So Jesus, he says, verse 15, knowing their hypocrisy, he, he sees it from the get-go. He knows that they have an agenda why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius. The denarius, we have an image of, of a denarius, was the, was the common currency of the day. He said, bring me a denarius, and let me look at it. At least I thought, maybe we don't. It's fine. Let me look at it. They brought one, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. So the, the coin, the currency of the day to buy food and sell and to, to, you know, to earn wages was the denarius. On one side, it was the, the, the side profile of Caesar. On the other side, it was Caesar's mom. I'm like, dude, if you got your face on one side and your mom on the other, that's your money. Like, the, you call the shots with that money. If your image is on it and your mama's image is on it, that's, you, get to, you get to decide what happens with that money. And so he's like, Who, whose image is on this? And they're like, well, it's Caesar's image. And he's like, well, if you want to have Caesar's money, which is the irony, the, they, they play with Caesar's money, which is how they're able to produce it. And like, if you want to play with Caesar's money, then you've got to play by his rules. And so he tells them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. His picture and his mama's picture is on the coin. He calls the shots. He determines the rules. Right? If you want to play by, with his money, then you've got to play by his rules. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And we may think that at this point, the Pharisees are like, perfect. We got him. He's done. Get rid of him. But then he follows up with, and this is the point that Jesus is driving to, and give to God the things that are God's. It's not an either-or question. It's a both. It's, an, it's a both-and. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but his image is all over. It's his. Give it to him, and give to God what is God's. Give to God what his image is all over. Give to Caesar what is his, and we know what's his because his face, his image, is all over it. The likeness of Caesar right there on the coin. And give to God what is God's, what his image is all over. And so then we got to ask the question, what is God's image on? Where do we see the likeness of God's image? If we're to give to God what is his based on what his image and likeness is on, well, where is God's image and likeness? Genesis chapter 1, that's the very beginning, um, if you're keeping count. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in what? Our image. After our likeness there we go Claire come on with it yes 
God is creating, and he creates something with the image and likeness of God on it. What is it? What did he create with his image on it? Us. Humanity. People. Verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And if you're like, well, I'm a woman, so I'm good. Male and female, he created them. All of humanity is created with the likeness of God stamped on us. That God's signature his inscription is placed on our lives. It's called the Imago Dei, that the image of God is placed on our lives. And so when he's like, yeah, yeah, give to Caesar what is his. Well, what's Caesar's? I don't know. What's his face on? What's his image on? What's his likeness on? This coin. Okay, then give him his coins back. And give to God what is his. What's his image on? What's his likeness on? You. Give him yourself wholly and fully. It's It's his. John says we don't have anything that God hasn't given to us. We want to stand tall like well, I'm my own self-autonomous being and, and, and forget that at some point, and we were just DNA and cells that God was like weaving us together and at no point were we were like, hey God, I would like to have a functioning brain that allows me to get this job and make this life for myself. Like we never bargained that out with God. Hey, God, could you give me these abilities so that I can accomplish this task with my life? Hey, God, could you let me be born in the United States, I don't know, in the 21st century maybe, where things are comfortable and nice and I can make a fair wage and I can, you know, have all of these blessings? Like, we did not have that conversation with God. He simply chose to create us and to place us where he wanted to place us and to give us everything we have. No, no, this is my shirt. I went down to the thrift store and bought it myself. Okay, well, where did you get the money to buy your shirt? Well, I worked. Okay, well, where did you have the ability to get a job? I don't know. I was born with it. No, you were given it by God. Everything we have. The, the legs that I stand on, I mean, that's a gift from God. Praise God for that. The breath in my lungs, that's a gift from God. Praise God for that. And give it back to him. The hypocrisy is that they want to stand up and be like, you can't follow Caesar and follow God. We want to defend God's name. We want to defend God's honor against Caesar. And yet they want to go and, and not care for the poor that, that God says, hey, care for the poor. We want to defend God's honor. We want to love God above all else. And yet they don't want to love their neighbor as Jesus loves their neighbor. I mean, we, we've memorized the Torah and we give our tithes and all of this and yet they don't want to give their full selves to the glory and, and, and beauty and love of God. There's this hypocrisy at play here that, that they're trying to, to be like, no, we want to defend God's glory in Jesus. Like, you won't even give God yourself. How can you, how can you be honoring him and yet you, you hold back from yourself? You're a whitewashed tomb. You're, you're, you're nice on the outside, but inside you're dead. You want to praise God and honor God with your lips and sing his praises, but your heart is far from him. You don't actually love him. You're just playing karaoke. And so Jesus is calling them out on their hypocrisy. Don't worry about 
giving Caesar his coins back. Worry about are you giving God what is his, which is your whole self. His image is on you. His likeness is created within you. Give to God what is God's first. And the funny thing is, to give to God what is his, to give my whole self to God will mean that I am going to submit myself to the authorities that God has put in place. Romans 13 tells me, pay taxes to whom the taxes are due. So to give myself to God means I'm gonna pay my taxes to the country that I wanna live in. If I don't wanna pay taxes to this country, move. But then you're gonna have other rules to the authorities that God has put in place because God is the one who places the authorities for our own good. Look, I'm not thrilled with our government either. I wrote Mark Cuban in his president. And I was like, I don't know what to do here. I don't like it. Nonetheless, I'm called to support and pray for and submit to the laws of this land until they tell me to sin against God because I'm first to give all of myself to God. But then in being obedient to him, I, I submit to the laws of the land. That's how it's both of these. Yeah, give to Caesar what's his. Because in doing so, you're actually giving yourself to God and obeying what God told you to do. The point Jesus is getting at here is to give ourselves fully to God. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus, he's got a crowd following him, and he says, great, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The, the only way that, that you and I are truly Christians is when we give to God what is his. And that's all of me when I lay my life down, I surrender my selfish ambition. And I say, all right, God, your way is my way. What you say is what I trust and believe. I will follow you. And the incredible thing is that Jesus says, when we do this, when we give God what is his, that that's when we actually receive from him the abundance and fullness of life. That when we lose our life for his sake, that's when we actually find real life. That when we lay down our lives in trust and love to follow Jesus, that's when he actually gives us his life, the life that we always desire to have but can only find in him. I mean, praise God that Jesus wasn't like us that Jesus truly did honor God his Father in all things, that he gave up what was rightfully his in order to give to us what we never deserve, that Jesus laid down his life, gave himself up in order to lift us up, that we were created in this relationship with God, and we were the ones that when he gave us freedom, we were like, peace, I'm out, I'm doing my own thing. And we rebelled against him, we try to take back our life, what is rightfully his. He said, no, I'm gonna live it for myself. And in astounding love, Jesus came to pay the price in order to bring us back home to him. That in his death, he paid the price for our sins, what we deserve to pay 
that he paid the redemption, the ransom price. That's why 1 Corinthians 6 says, you are not your own, but you are bought with a price. We want to live as, as if we were our own. We can call the shots with our bodies and our thoughts and what we do. And he's like, no, no, if you trust Jesus, you're not your own. You were bought with a price, the price of the blood of Jesus. But praise be to God that in Jesus' resurrection, he also resurrects our dead souls and gives us life today and for all of eternity. And so the question to be asked is, are you giving to God what is his? Or do we find ourselves trying to play both sides of the fence? Do we find ourselves coming to worship and honoring God with our lips, but in reality our hearts are far from him? Do we find ourselves being willing to do the Bible study, being willing to to be a part of a church, but unwilling to give of the finances that really none of it's ours anyways because it's all God's? Do we find ourselves willing to stand up and fight against abortion and the, the, the unborn but unwilling to stand up and fight for the born who are already taken advantage of. Do we find ourselves willing to stand up and encourage our brothers and sisters on in their faith, hey, stop this, honor God, love God, but unwilling to go to our lost neighbors and friends and tell them how they can have life in Jesus? Jesus' plea here is give to God what is his, and that's not just this part, that's all of it. Give to God what is his, and that is all of us. My, my thoughts, my words, my actions, my affections, everything I have is from him. We're called to give it back to him, and the incredible gift of God is that when we do that, we will find the abundance of life that we can't even fathom. It doesn't mean that everything's easy. It's that in the economy of God, there's actually a joy even in the tribulation. It's it's the fullness of life in his presence. It's so easy for us to to read this and to see the Pharisees and the Herodians and be like, gosh, those hypocrites, right? They talk a big game. They want to stand up and honor God against Rome and yet they won't even honor God in their own lives and we have to realize how easily we do the same and the invitation of God is not one of condemnation today it's not one to to beat us down and guilt it's an invitation into life if we've never trusted Jesus if we've never surrendered our lives to Jesus the invitation from him is hey surrender your life to me give to God what is his and that's yourself and trust me that I'll give you eternal life that starts today and goes forever. And for those of us who have trusted Christ, it's a daily, daily walk with him. All right, God, today I give you what is yours, and that's all of me. I hold nothing back for myself. And 30 minutes later, when we're faced with that crossroads again, no, 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 no. God, I give you all of myself. My thoughts are for you. And five minutes later, when we're faced at that crossroads again, no, 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 God, I, I, I have surrendered 
all to you. My words that I speak, they're going to reflect you. They're not going to reflect myself. And it's a life of growing in, in laying down ourself and giving to God what is his. It's a lifetime. And, and if we continue to walk that route a year from now, we're still going to stumble. But it's going to be longer in between those, those falls and those falls are going to be shallower and like, I can't think of the word. Right, but it's going to be longer in between and we're going we're gonna to stumble and get back up faster. That's what a life of following Jesus looks like. It's not perfection on this side of earth. It's just that we're, we're growing into his image. But that happens as we give to God what is his, which is, which is our whole selves. So I believe God wants to ask you as he wants to ask me, okay, Corey, is there any part of me that I'm not giving to him? Is there any part of me that I'm like, okay, God, I'm gonna follow you, but I'm gonna keep this foot going this way because I've kind of laid this out and I, I like the way it looks. I'm, am I willing to lay it all down? Am I willing to give him everything? It is the path of the fullness of life that is found in Jesus. It's for our good. It's for our joy and his glory. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.